Welcome to Reform Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We're going to go right to it, to a gentleman who was uh, in his office uh, uh, in Washington, D.C. on January 6th when he heard some loud banging at his door. And I'm talking about Congressman Emanuel Cleaver II from Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, Congressman Cleaver, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, I would just like to have you just comment on your experience January 6th and also uh, talk about uh, Republicans and where they stand and ignoring uh, this travesty of justice. Well, thank you for uh, having me again on your show. I think uh, what you're doing for the Seattle area is what I wish we had uh, going in every community around the country. Uh, on January 6th, I walked across the street to the Capitol uh, like I had done uh, many, many times over the past uh, 18 years. Uh, it, there was nothing special about it. I knew that on our agenda we were uh, we were asked to... Uh, you know, come in and, and do what, what I had also done three times previously, which was to cast my vote uh, to uh, certify the Electoral College uh, report, which was that uh, uh, Joseph Biden had become the President of the United States. And uh, I have to preface my, the remainder of my comments to say uh, I don't even remember any of those votes. I, I you know, I know we, I know we did it, but they were so unceremonious that uh, I never even you know, thought uh, uh, deeply about it. It's, it has been done uh, since the founding of the republic, and uh, I doubt if there's been any uh, section of American history where that has even been studied. It was just something that you do, like drinking water. Uh, that's what you do in a democracy. Uh, so uh, we have all of these new uh, voting protocols because of the uh, coronavirus. And so what we do now is only uh, all the members are never in the chamber at the same time anymore uh, because the 435 of us, plus we have a joint session, which means that the 100 senators would under normal circumstances join us for this uh vote on, on a certification of the Electoral College report. Uh, so normally, because my name, my last name ends with C, uh, I'd vote with the first group, A, B, C, D. Uh, and so uh, I had come over to the Capitol and left, and, and I had gone back to my office. And I was sitting there talking with two of my uh, colleagues on my staff, um, because most, most uh, members of Congress were, were allowed to have uh, 18 staff members full-time, and I think uh, four or five part-time. Uh, so normally the offices, offices are busy, but on this, you know, since COVID, we would only have two people in so that we could have proper social distancing. So we were talking about some legislation that we were hoping to do, uh, and in the background, uh, you know, the television is on, and it's on CNN. And so I looked up, and I saw a crowd of people, uh, but, I, you know, I thought, boy, you know, uh, Trump has another rally going, and uh, they're, uh, you know, getting boisterous, uh, boisterous, and it sure will be uh, interesting to hear what he said to them. Little did I know that uh, that rally had ended uh, down by the, the White House and that the marches had ended up at the U.S. Capitol to, for the uh, with a responsibility to disrupt uh, this very uh, Republic, uh, Republican
Republican, when I use the word Republican here, I'm talking about uh, the, the United States as a republic. Uh, that this, this, uh, this republic had, had, uh, had done uh, so many times before. And uh, it, it only took me a few minutes before I could see that there were people uh, who were trying to break down the door that would lead to the Capitol. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And all of a sudden, my two uh, colleagues and I were riveted to the television set, and uh, and then we 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 heard something coming up with the announcer, the announcer, uh, the announcer painter, announcer painter, painter, whatever it is, announcer, uh, saying to all members of Congress, uh, all members of Congress, please lock your doors and do not stand in front of the windows. So I realized that this was a serious incident, that something real was going on. So we ran and locked the doors, uh, and we, we uh, went into my office because uh, to get into my office, you have to go through the outside door, uh, and then you have to still break through the door in my office. And, uh, we, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, by that time we might get help. So we, we locked the outer door, came to my office. Uh, maybe 30 minutes later, we heard banging on the door. Uh, I looked for a weapon, and I only had a little bat uh, in my in my hand. And uh, my staff went close to the door so they could hear. They and they were they kept quiet, of course. And they told they, they said they could hear them uh, they're using profanity. Uh, I didn't hear that uh, the, the profanity because I was over near my desk and trying to figure out how I was going to fight uh, if, the, if the crowd came in and I. You know, I had already concluded, I'm not going to try to talk them out of this. this. These people, based on what I'm looking at on CNN, are not interested in a conversation or a debate. They are interested in, in beating somebody to death, uh, you know, and stopping the election and installing uh, uh, President uh, Donald Trump in as the, the, uh, the dictator. And so um, uh, we stayed in there for five hours. Uh, and slowly but surely things calmed down. Uh, little did we know that there had been an attempt to get National Guardsmen uh, in hours earlier, but the, uh, uh, for whatever reason, it, hopefully it's going to come out pretty soon, uh, we couldn't get permission. And, and by the way, I think I mentioned this uh, to you before, but uh, you know, the District of Columbia, because of its unique status, uh, uh, has to get approval uh, from the federal government to bring in National Guardsmen. Uh, and that's where the problem, one of the problems occurred, uh, because we weren't able to get that. In most states, the, the governor uh, can unilaterally uh, you know, bring the, uh, the uh, National Guard in for a crisis or an emergency. Uh, but because of Washington, D.C. status, they couldn't do that. Uh, which is the reason, I won't get into this, but it's one of the reasons that they should become a state. They have more people in Washington than they have in the state of Montana and, uh, and now North and South Dakota. So at any rate, uh, we, we realized that things had subsided. Uh, but uh, for me, it was a day uh, that uh, under some other circumstances, I would have been at, uh, right there by the door uh, because many of us... Uh, the Congressional Black Caucus members will uh, linger uh, around the, the, ch the, the chamber talking because we don't get a chance to see each other uh, anymore. They're members of the CDC I haven't seen since January. 
uh, members of Congress, period, that I haven't seen, uh, because we, 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 we never gather in the same place anymore. Uh, so uh, I was so angry. I mean, I was just, I mean, I, I was angry because I, I, um, I had witnessed uh, the, for the first time in the history of the United States, 230 years, uh, that the Capitol had been breached. Uh, and so uh, that angered me, but I was also angered because I saw those flags and uh, I saw the the uh, symbols for the Proud Boys, uh, uh, a lot of the uh, white supremacy organization, uh, and, I'm, I'm, and, and they had joined forces with all kinds of people who are uh, who are you know uh, antagonists to the federal government. And uh, uh, we stayed over until about 4 a.m. in the morning because, and I agree with this, we could not allow uh, the insurgents, the, the, the rebels, uh, the gang bangers to win. Uh, they wanted us to delay uh, the certification, and we refused uh, to, to delay. Uh, we delayed it by, by hours, but, but uh, we, didn't go, we refused to go home until we did it. So after it was over, uh, one of the Capitol Police officers uh, walked me and a, a, a member from North Carolina, uh, uh, Representative uh, Price, David Price, uh, to our apartment. Uh, and uh, then the next day I found out uh, more about what happened because I couldn't sleep that night, uh, you know, so I essentially laid down at 4.30 or 5 and got up at 6 to uh, turn on the television to find out more about what happened, and I was there. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, right off the bat, members were angry. Uh, They were furious because we had had uh, a large number of our colleagues on the other side who voted no, that they would not certify uh, the Electoral College. First time in history, Uh, over 100 of them voted. And so the question that we had to deal with, all of us had to deal with, and, and many of us are still dealing with, is how do we work with individuals who tried to overthrow the government uh, and make the mistake this was this was an attempt to overthrow the government. I mean, I, I don't want anybody to think this was some kind of like uh, uh, loud, loud uh, you know, program that got out of control. This was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States, and two senators made it possible. Uh, Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz, had they uh, uh, voted with the rest of the members of the Senate to accept uh, and certify the, the um, uh, Electoral College report, it would have been over. It wouldn't have even uh, gotten to a point where in the House where, where we would have had that kind of a situation, but they didn't. Uh, they, they got what they wanted, and now, uh, you know, we, we look like a banana republic. If you came to Washington right now, it looks like a military uh, uh, base. I mean, there's fencing all the way around, and there's uh, two layers of fencing, and at the top of one is a uh, razor wire. Uh, you can't get inside the gate of the Capitol uh, unless you are a member of Congress uh, or an employee of sure your bad. Most of the Capitol Police, uh, no members of Congress, those of us who've been here for a while, but we generally, uh, you know, don't have to show any, any ID. Uh, 
Now we wear we wear uh, a a pin, as you know, uh, uh, which also helps with security. They know who the members are. But we were told to take our pins off by left that part out uh, while we were in the, uh, when we came to vote. They said, "Don't don't wear your pin." Well, because they knew that if somebody saw the pin, that they would recognize that we were all members of Congress, and we had no idea what could happen, guns and so forth. I'll end this by just telling you that Nancy Pelosi, who I, I think is an amazing leader, uh, said, because that night we had, uh, we almost had some fisticuffs on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives, which hadn't occurred since the 1800s. Uh, and then, uh, you know, because we had people on, Republicans on the floor with guns, uh, the Speaker uh, decided to put up the magnetometers at the door so that uh, we could detect, uh, so the police would detect anyone coming in with a weapon. And, of course, there were, there were people who refused to leave their weapons outside. Uh, and so now Nancy Pelosi, because she has the power to do it singularly, uh, has said that if you come inside, if you, if you come in the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the floor of the house with a gun, uh, or you refuse to come in unless you can bring the gun, you will get a $5,000 fine. Uh, and she doesn't have to, nobody has to vote on it. She's already, she's already uh, taken, and, they, and the money comes out of people's paychecks, so it's not like if there's going to be a debate. She also has to send the payroll uh, 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 a memo. And so two members have already gotten a $5,000 fine. And right now I think our, our country is not in a very, very strong position because we have, unfortunately, millions of Americans uh, who embrace the QAnon uh, conspiracies, and most of those are, are just as crazy, uh, you know, as, as anything I have ever seen. And so, you know, that's that's the way it is. It's, it's a bad situation right now. Well, yeah, we're watching uh, things very closely. But before we have to go, uh, you know, in Washington State, they passed an anti-affirmative action uh, initiative in 1998, similar to what they passed in California and other states. Uh, right now, we have uh, Governor Jay Inslee. I believe you served in Congress with Governor Inslee. I did. I did. And so anyway, uh, it's my understanding he's trying to uh, get an executive order to cover education and, uh, and uh, uh, contracting. But uh, if he issues an executive request for legislation, it's my understanding the votes are there. But if he puts his muscle behind it, and I'm encouraging some members of the CBC uh, to give him a, a call to encourage him to restore affirmative action in Washington State. Uh, he has the clout to do it. The, little, the deal he made right now, but I understand, doesn't cover all the black people in this in the state. So, but uh, I, I think I sent a few of you folks a note to serve with him. And now we got about four or five committee chairs that are CBC members. But uh, I, I, but uh, uh, Congressman Cleaver, I really want to thank you. I have a, a, a Black History program today. But I just wanted my listeners to hear the experience of someone who was there. And so we see it on TV, but to actually hear your experience is great. And i tell you one thing, the mob was bipartisan. They wanted to put a bullet in Pelosi's head. They wanted to hang Mike Pence. So uh, yeah. well, we're in serious trouble. And Congressman, I have to admit, I am so happy that the whole world got to see this and see uh, this white privilege, because that's what's happening, as you well know right now. Uh, as you said to yourself, if it had been Black Lives Matter, it would have been a whole bunch of dead folks, and they never been to the front, the front step. 
So, sir, thank you very much. And uh, I will be back in touch with you about uh, what's going on in Washington State with uh, restoring affirmative action. All right. Good to talk with you again. Let me know. Okay, Congressman Cleveland. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay. Uh, we have our next guest standing by, Dr. Quintara Taylor, founder of BlackPass.org. I used to listen to all of his lectures that he did. Uh, they were streamed, uh, they were televised, if uh, UW's uh, program series, and outstanding. The man has knows more about Black history in the Northwest and Washington State than anybody I ever met or heard. So Dr. Quintara Taylor, thank you very much. Wow. Uh, wow. Thank you for that introduction, Eddie. I, I don't know if anybody's ever said that kind of thing before about me. I watch you closely. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I watch you closely. <laughs> I, used to, yeah. I used to watch all your all your uh, your uh, your lectures that you gave uh, on Black History it was advertised. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, was uh, televised, and I really wish they would do that again. As a matter of fact, the uh, the one the the uh, lectures you gave are relevant today, and I wish we could encourage UW to re-air those, not just for Black History Month, but all around. All around, and we can start with Black History Month since we're in Black History Month. So well, I, I hope well, we can get that done. Well, I'll I'll tell you uh, because I know this interview is about Black Pass. You've already mentioned it. All of those lectures are actually on Black Pass. If you go to our multimedia section and scroll down the page, uh, you'll see a link to those lectures. And and if anybody has difficulty finding them, you know they can contact me uh, at Black Pass Quintard at uh, blackpass.org and, and we'll direct them. We'll, we'll make sure that they get them. But those lectures are available and thank you for, for mentioning them. You know, they were done over over 14 years ago. <laughs> but, uh, but as you say, some, a lot of this is still relevant. And unfortunately, it's still relevant because as much as we like to think of our history as being progressive, as moving forward, as you just said to uh, Congressman uh, Cleaver, we we still seem to be running in place on a lot of issues, and affirmative action is one of those issues. I know that's not the topic well, for me, but affirmative action is one of those issues, and police brutality, police violence and brutality is another issue that seems to be ongoing. It's not a new issue. Uh, it's an issue that, that continues. So, uh, one of the examples that we give from Black Past, and by the way, uh, Black Pass, uh, just to give you some kind of larger context, because I want to go back and thank you for being one of the first people, one of the first uh, uh, media personalities to actually interview us when we started out in 20, uh, 2007. That was 14 years ago, uh, Eddie, and I don't, I don't know if you remember that interview. Maybe it's in your files. But, uh, yeah, we were just starting out, and you took a chance and said, you know, tell us what Black Pass is all about. Uh, and we attempted to do so, and we continue to do essentially the same thing today. Uh, we we provide a historical context, or at least we hope we provide a historical context, not just for the state of Washington, but for the entire world. Uh, Black Pass, as, as I sit and tell you this today, Black Pass has over 6,000 entries uh, on people of African ancestry, mainly African-Americans, but people of African ancestry all around the world. And last year in 2020, uh, we received 6 million visitors for the first time. That was, a, that was a record. That was a huge record because I think we had 4.2 million visitors the year before. Unfortunately, a lot of those visitors came 
because of the twin crises that we face, uh, COVID-19, which disproportionately affects black folks. And we tried to talk about that in, on our COVID-19 page. But it also, those, many of those visitors came because of George Floyd and the aftermath to George Floyd. And you know, I'm sorry that the, the, the crises prompted people to come to Black Pass, but if they came to Black Pass and they learned, then that's good. That's, that's important. So, so as I said, we try to cover all of that history. I was thinking about your conversation with uh, Congressman Cleaver. We have him profiled on, on Black Pass. Matter of fact, we have every black office holder in Congress who's ever served in Congress profiled on Black Pass. In fact, we have the very first black office holder, at least that we can determine, uh, who ever served in North America. And he served in, wow, 1641, 1641. It was Matthias D'Souza, and he was in Maryland, the Maryland County, uh, Maryland uh, Colonial Legislature. And just think about that date for a minute, because 1641 is only a few years after 1619, and it's only, what, 21 years after the pilgrims landed at Jamestown. So at least early on, black people or some black people had a chance to, uh, to have some representation. But I don't need to tell you, the fight for representation, the fight for the vote, and the fight for, for getting people in office who will, will be able to improve black lives, that continues right to this day. And that's one of the reasons we profile all of those people who served in Congress. Well, you have to profile the new uh, 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 chair of the Black Member Caucus in Olympia, a young lady attorney, state representative from the 30th Legislative District by the name of Jamila Taylor. I know you know her pretty well. <laughs> we are going to do that, and I can promise you our profile of her is going to be as objective as any other, uh, any other profile. She's not going to get any special favoritism from us. Um, but, uh, yeah, in fact, one of the pages that we, are, we want to craft is a page that literally lists all of the black people who have served in the Washington state legislature. And they go all the way back to William Owen Bush, who was in the very first legislature back in uh, 1889, when, when Washington became a state. And of course- They talk about Haywood Evans stuff right now. Haywood Evans is, is, the, is our historian for the MLK uh, uh, Commemoration Committee and the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition. He is our Washington historial, historian. Oh, good. Go right ahead, sir. Hello? Haywood? Hello? How are you, Quintard? I'm fine. I'm doing fine, Haywood. How are you? Oh, very good. I don't know if you remember. My daughter, Sierra, took your class. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what, real... what, what, do you remember what year? Oh, golly. She graduated about four years ago. And it was about eight years ago. Wow. Wow. Jeez, wow. Crackers. Yeah, it was a while ago. But well, you know, for, maybe, for me... maybe she wrote, what was her name? Sierra Evans. Sierra Evans. Did she yeah. write for Black Pass? She, she, she might have written something. She's with the, uh, a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation now in their human resource department. Yeah, That's a good contact yeah. for you, Dr. Dr. Taylor. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eddie. No, I said uh, she's with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I said that's a good contact with Black Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we struggle for money. I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that on the air. We always struggle for money. Uh, we get a lot of people using the site, but we don't have a lot of supporters, financial supporters. So 
Yeah, if we can if we can tap into the resources of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and others, I think it would be greatly appreciated. One of the ironies of having Black Pass situated here in Seattle, Washington, is that we actually live in a city which per capita has more millionaires and billionaires than almost any other city in the country. And yet, you know, as you, I don't need to tell you, we have a huge wealth gap. Um, and black organizations, and you're going to interview two other people who are associated with history, uh, Delbert Richardson and, and, of course, Stephanie um, Oliver. Um, later, I think you're going to, Stephanie Johnson yeah. Oliver, later in the program. Yeah, yeah both of them will be on the program after you. Yeah, they, you know, they will testify that we all struggle in terms of raising yeah. money to try to, to share this history. Well, I'll tell you one thing, uh, whatever we can do, you know, blackpass.org reminds me of the NAACP. Every time a brother and sister have a problem, they call the NAACP. They call me, I said, would you please invest $30 in your civil rights? <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of people have come to believe uh, that Black Pass is a civil rights organization. You'd be surprised at the number of emails we get from folks in prison all the way to folks who've had problems with the local police authorities who say, you know, can we help? Can Black Pass help? And at one level, I appreciate that. I appreciate the faith that they put into us. But at the same time, I always have to tell them that, they're, that that's not what we do, that there are organizations like the Urban League and the NAACP uh, which can help. I, I want to circle back to this, this whole question of police brutality, because obviously that came to the fore with the George Floyd incident. And we have a lot of information on George Floyd and the aftermath of, of his murder uh, last year. And, you know, just as kind of a personal reference, I used to live down the street from where he was killed in Minneapolis. So so that was, that was a particular tragedy for me. I, I know that corner all too well. But at any rate, uh, you know, we have a page on Black Pass. Uh, dedicated to Black Lives Matter. Matter of fact, that's what it's called, the Black Lives Matter page. And I urge uh, you and your listeners uh, to, to go to that page and look at it because we have almost 100 people profiled who have been murdered by the police under, I'll just say, questionable circumstances, quote, unquote. And, and it is the most complete list, that, as far as I know, of victims of police violence uh, here in the United States. And it's not just a list. I, I want to urge you to, to, to understand that what you're coming to, not just a list of names of people who died, but profiles, individual profiles of each one, because all of these folks were connected to a family. All of them had families. All of them had aspirations and goals and dreams. And all of those were, were snatched away by uh, their, their murders. And so what we try to do, uh, I, I hate to use this term, but we, we try to humanize these lists. You know, other people just have the list of victims. We want mm -hmm. people to know that these aren't just victims, but these were human beings with lives and, and destinies that were snuffed out by, by police violence. The irony here, Eddie, is that the very first person on that list, the very first victim that we profile, uh, is a man that, named... Uh, uh, Barry Lawson, and we we call it the Barry Lawson case. And again, I won't go into detail here. You can look it up on the website. But he was a waiter. He was a black waiter in Seattle in 1938, and he was killed by three white policemen. He was pushed down the stairs of a uh, of a hotel 
in what is now the International District. Mm-hmm. And his murder probably would have gone unnoticed, except for the newly appointed uh, director of the Urban League, who decided to figure out what was going on. Uh, that director of the Urban League, if I remember correctly, was Joseph Johnson. Uh, at any rate, uh, long story short, the Urban League people got involved and others got involved, and eventually they were able to persuade the city government and the county prosecutor to arrest and eventually try and convict all three of those policemen. This was That's 1938. Uh, we need to bring 38 back when it comes down to that because that's been, <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's my point. And that's, that's the lesson of history. History can yeah. tell you where where we failed. It can also tell you where we succeeded. It yeah. can also tell you where we've met the challenge and gone beyond the challenge. And and I think people need to to know that story and they need to be encouraged by it today. Okay. Now let me just ask you this before we have to go. I want to find out. Would you tell our listeners? how they can support blackpass.org financially. Is it through United Way? Is it through the labor unions? Because we have the high-ranking people like Kevin Allen and Clyde Berthick. They're, you know, they're hooked up with the labor unions. Mm-hmm. And I know Hayward also is a, I knows where a lot of money is as well. So I was just thinking <laughs> that, uh, Hayward, well, you might want to pass that on. Go ahead, Hayward. Well, uh, Clinton, I was going to say, I'm down for the money. Every t- Even when you talked about the gentleman who passed in 38, mm-hmm. a dollar value needs to be assigned. And we've mm-hmm. been trying to assign dollar values to everything. Going back to uh, uh, 1640, we talked about the first uh, black person in the, uh, uh, in the, in the colonial um, um, elected. Uh, elected, yeah, elected. That's, mm-hmm. that's when tobacco took off. That's yeah. when they really started pushing slavery. Dollar mm-hmm. amount needs to be uh, put on that. And, and to me, I submit to you, we need to go back and see who funded them. And if we look at all those banks in England and all the mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. that they funded, the people in the state, even George Washington and, and Thomas Jefferson, after they won the Revolutionary War, never paid the money back to the banks yeah. in England. But we're yeah. talking billions of dollars, yet the English slaveholders were, were paid off, were paid yeah. compensation. And they, yeah. they didn't even finish paying until 2015. But I'm thinking these are the types of things we need to incorporate where a dollar of value is being assigned mm-hmm. so we can get a, a true, a real true picture of just what our community has been denied. And right. to, to me, it right. increases the case for reparation. Well, I, I, you know, on, on a final I, note, too, everybody, because I heard you when you spoke, too, we talked about Manuel Lopez being the first African. And yeah, he was. But the first African descendant of the United States enslaved in Seattle was, was gross. Yeah, I'd like to make sure that's pointed out. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Gross. In fact, Lope actually left Seattle. He came, he stayed for a little while, and then he left. Gross yeah. obviously came and, and put down roots. And, and of course, uh, you know, we see evidence of, of his presence right to, right to this day. Uh, I want to go back to the question. I want to go back to the question of finances because it's always important with Black Pass. It's always important with all of our struggling history organizations. The easiest way to support Black Pass is just to go to the website. We have a button on the upper left uh, side of the homepage. Uh, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, the upper right side of the homepage. And it says donate, and you can donate directly. There's a button on the left side, which is called the Black Pass store. And there we have uh, a lot of memorabilia, and people can go there, and they can buy those items. And the proceeds, or some of the proceeds from those items, uh, go to Black Pass as well. 
Okay, good Dr. Taylor, we're out of time. I really want to thank you for what you've been doing over the years. I'm glad to hear that people can access all the dynamite lectures you gave on the Black Pass website. So, sir, thank you very much today, and we really appreciate your time. Well, thank, thank you for having me, Eddie, and, and good luck here. Take care. All right. All right, bye. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150kknw. All right. Hey, we're Evans and Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest, and that's Eric on the boards and spinning the tunes. But before we go back to my main man, Del Richardson, I want to thank uh, Sound Transit, uh, Leslie Jones, Sound Transit, the Labor and Civil Rights Office, uh, Liz Alzier, Mark and, uh, and Jesse at uh, the, Seattle, the City of Seattle's Person Construction Services Office, me and Rice, the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office, my friends at the airport, uh, Dave Pukaharo Concourse Concessions, SeaTac Bar Group LLC, Rod O'Neill, and Jerry Whitsett, and hoping that the business pick up soon. Uh, so we're going to go now, and also I want to give a shout out, a special shout out to Stephanie Ogle that uh, does all of our technology, and I uh, want to wish her dad, uh, Mr. Bill Edmonds, a uh, speedy recovery. Uh, so uh, Delbert Richardson, my man that has all the information about the slave ships and artifacts and the, actually a traveling museum. So, sir, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with he Haywood Evans and Eddie Rye. So why don't you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about all the work you've been doing? Brother Eddie, is Haywood there? Oh, yeah, that's my co-host. What's up, brother? What's up? What's now, you know I'm here, Fred. Good to see you. <laughs> hey, just to set the record straight, uh, Eddie called me Delbert, but my nickname is Booney. So I know some folks out in the community know me oh. as that guy also, too. So oh, absolutely. Hey, Booney, but I, I remember, I mean, I remember right? Booney and somebody on 30th and Jackson. 
you know what? <laughs> now you now you tell them my neighborhood now, Eddie, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So if I if I if I my, my ears don't um um did you have Quintard on just now? Yeah, he just went on. Boy, what some big shoes, and I feel honored to follow that brother, right? So thank you so much, Eddie and Hayward. So just to briefly tell the, the, the community, um, yeah, I teach American history through an Afrocentric lens because I operate from this belief that a uh, majority of the history that we're taught is by some white men from the top down, and normally it will honor the those that are in power. So I teach history from the bottom up. So there's going to be an amazing beginning, an amazing end of the story. I use authentic artifacts, storyboards, and storytelling. And my work is a unique pedagogy because it incorporates a kinesthetic uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID, meaning it's 100% hands-on museum. And so, you know, I, I teach American history, but I start with Mother Africa because I operate from belief, Brother Haywood, is that we have been bamboozled and hoodwinked and the dominant culture those white folks want to start our history from the enslavement period nah we're going to start from the roots mitochondrial dna says the original mother comes from africa so we're going to talk about the continent so what i enjoy uh the most is my primary uh clientele are pre-k to 12th grade public school predominantly black boys and black girls. But I teach STEM, which is the acronym for science, technology, and engineering and math, coming out of Africa, talking about someone like Imhotep, who was the originator of the first step pyramid. So, uh, yeah, I'm determined to do my part because I'm tired of me complaining about what's not happening for our children. And I'm taking the responsibility, Eddie and Hayward, to do my part so the children can stand on my shoulders. And where will you be? Uh, how can people, and I guess with COVID-19, it's a little different. Than, but I do appreciate the fact that you shared some items, uh, pictures that we'll be using on the MLK Gandhi uh, Empowerment Initiative website. We appreciate that very much. Uh, so normally, uh, uh, do you just have uh, events where you display these uh, artifacts? How does that How does that work? Well, Eddie, thanks. Because, you know, COVID has forced us all to pivot, right? And in this case, I was already getting ready to pivot to a um, virtual platform before COVID even hit because capacity has been a big challenge. So I am now doing a 100% virtual experience with the museum. And I've actually just launched yesterday a uh, virtual museum um, online museum experience with the city of Bellevue. And I can... I'm not sure I can get you that link, but it's open to the public. So I do. I am doing some community events sometime this month because it's Black History Month. And I'll say this, you know, I call Black History Month sometimes Be Kind and Negro Month because unfortunately it seems to be the only time when certain organizations want to highlight and value us. So I am looking and hoping that we as a people will start embracing that Black History Month is what? March, April, May, 365 days out of the year. So, um, yes, I'm doing some virtual events. And so I can, uh, people can go to my website or they can email me to find out what public events I'll be doing for the month of February. 
So do you have, do you have, uh, what can you give us a couple of shout outs on, on where you're going to be the next week or two? Um, let's or how they can access the, the virtual. Well, you know, and that's sure. the thing, Eddie, the way this thing is set up now, you've got to be, you've got to have a Zoom connection, right? So um, I believe Snohomish NAACP are doing a Facebook presentation. Hold on, let me look at my calendar. And I can tell you when that is. And maybe you can go to NAACP website and um, can access that. Um, yeah, that is going to be on. I'm going through my calendar now. Um, I believe it's the 22nd, I believe. Don't quote me. One sec. Let me check another. So while I'm looking... Um, I just want to share this. You know, I've got a, I saw a post recently, and, and this is the important thing to me about American history. Um, someone posted, slavery is white history. How we survive, it is black history. I thought I'd share that because that means that people are starting to look at history through multiple lenses. And I think it gives an opportunity to have those kind of discussions that are necessary to start embracing our history in different ways. So here it is. So on February 22nd, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock, I'll be doing a virtual presentation for the NAAP, NAACP Snohomish County. So, um, and so I have a link here, but you may be able to go to www.naacpsnohomish.org. I'm going to say it again. www.nwcp/snoco.org, and I think you can find the Zoom registration there. Okay, uh, I was going to say that we have some people that I know for a fact that would be interested, and if you could either text or email me that uh, link so I can get it to them, because you got quite a few hits on Facebook when I posted you up there. Yeah. You know, what I would love to do is start creating opportunities for public um, displays, because as of right now, I've got something uh, scheduled for a duel, the black law school students at University of Washington and Seattle U are also co-facilitating a Zoom event, but it's not really open to the public per se, right? Yeah. So the question becomes, and this is for us, how do we start creating opportunities, not just in February, for but for the community to start accessing this rich knowledge? Well, you you got us on our way, I have to say that. And we certainly appreciate all the work you're doing, especially teaching us about ourselves and our history, and also teaching us about our motherland. So, uh, you know, it's uh, brilliant. Like I said, you do have a lot of followers, but you do speak the truth and do uh, tell it like it is. That's very important for people to have the accurate story about uh, the African descendants of the United States slaves in the United States and also uh, about how we got here. So uh, you do an outstanding job with that. And uh, uh, anything you're doing, you know, give Hayward and I a call and we'll make sure that the people know what you're doing because we appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. And, you know, and just to give uh, Brother Quintard a shout out, his blackpath.org site is something I'm going to start incorporating in my museum experience because there is going to be a post-COVID. But what is going to happen is that we're going to start having hybrid models of education. So I can envision 
Delbert actually doing not only national but global uh, storytelling sessions because, you know, before COVID hit, um, like three days before they shut the airport down at SeaTac, I was actually headed to Benin, Togo, and Burkina Faso with my wife and some other people, and I had translated my entire museum into French. Why? Ooh, Our yeah. story needs to be told by us globally, Eddie and Hayward. That's right. and so I was going over there to actually do some educating of the yeah. African-American experience to my brothers and sisters in Africa. Okay, we're going to have to follow up, brother. We're out of time. We need you for a lot more time because we, we enjoy your efforts and your story. So thank you very much, Delbert Richardson, a.k.a. Booney, the party you, on 30 Jackson. Up, I love proud. you both. All right. Later. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you. Okay, brother. Bye-bye. Okay. Our next guest is uh, Stephanie Johnson Tolliver. She is the president of the Black Heritage Society of Washington Incorporated, and she's also engaged uh, with a project with Mohai that's coming up on February 24th. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And uh, why don't you share with our listeners, my co-host is Hayward Evans. He's on the line with us. Share with our listeners what we have with First of all, a little bit about what the Heritage Society is doing, and then let's uh, spend a few minutes talking about the Mohai event. Oh, okay. Hi, Eddie. Um, it's really good to be here with you today. And when I heard that Quintard and Delbert were joining you, I thought, okay, right on. You know, how can I miss this? So thank you again. And Uh, At the Black Heritage Society, I've been president for going on four years now. Um, I'm a fourth-generation Seattleite, and so I am deeply rooted in Seattle, in this community, so um, I am so proud to be leading at this time. BHS was founded in 1977, just to give everyone just, you know, a little bit of history, and among our co-founders were um, Esther Hall Mumford, and Jacqueline Lawson, who we know as public historians and published authors, and the history keepers um, whose shoulders I stand on every day. The board is uh, a board of directors that are really passionate volunteers. You know, they are completely interested in the preservation of our history. Um, Our collections at the Black Heritage Society are large. We hold the largest and managed public collection of African-American memorabilia that documents um, the black people in this region. So that is a really huge um, honor for us to be able to do that. Um, We're really fortunate and grateful that we have a partnership with the Museum of History and Industry for more than 20 years. Um, the VHS archives are housed at a shared space in Georgetown with Mohai. And in the best of times, um, you know, um, without this terrible pandemic, aside from this pandemic, um, the collection is accessible to the public by appointment. So we always welcome people to come down and research and look through uh, this fabulous archive. And our goal really is to... Stephanie, what is um, the location of that? Yes, we're located in Georgetown. And the facility address, I should know that by heart, but it's uh, 
you know, in a very common area. People are, are around the um, the design center that's in Georgetown. Okay. Please okay. go to our website and and look for the address. It's it's listed there. What's the um, web address? I'm sorry, and then yeah, our website at www um, www.bhs uh, wa.org and, um, and check it out because, um, it is really a fabulous, uh, collection. You can always call us, um, email us, um, all that information, contact information is on our website. Um, our ultimate goal is to prioritize and digitize, uh, a majority of the legacy collections that we, we hold so that we can share them outside the library. So a really good example of that is what happened just about a year and a half ago when we received money from King County for Culture to digitize the Edwin Pratt Legacy Collection. So um, that's one of the things that we have been mostly interested in is um, making sure that our collections are readily available and accessible to the public. And, now, can we uh, talk a little bit about uh, the February 24th event? Yes, 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 yes. So um, we have an event, upcoming event, uh, Black Heritage um, Society with Amohai, our partners for Black History Month. Um, It's on the topic of when history is your story, and it is Wednesday, February 24th at 6.30. The registration is free. You can um, access the registration through our uh, our media, our Facebook pages, both at BHS and Mohai. Um, Eddie, thank you for being uh, one of the guests that will be coming on to join us that evening, um, because we we've invited two others to come and talk about you know, legacy and places and um, just the history that's touched their lives. So along with you, um, we are asking Chardonnay Beaver to share the legacy and the history of her family, um, the facts and how the facts newspaper and how that's, you know, affected her journey as she moves forward in her life. And we've also invited Ryan Donaldson, um, who is an ancestor of the early pioneers who came to Roslyn, Washington, and his genealogy search that was supported at BHS. And um, he continues to grow um, this fabulous uh, genealogy that is actually a relation to Al Smith Sr. and um, his cousin, Butch um, Al Smith Jr. is joining him also in this journey. We'll introduce to the audience the new president at the Black Genealogy Research Group, Thomas Robinson, as well. So we have a lot that we're going to cover in that program, so we hope that everybody's going to register uh, RSVP, uh, get that link, and join us. Okay, why don't you give the folks the information one more time about them accessing uh, the Black Heritage Society of Washington and the event coming up on the 24th. Okay, you can um, contact the Black Heritage Society at our website, www.bhswa.org. 
org, and you can also find us on Facebook, the Black Heritage Society of Washington State, and our program is scheduled for February 24th at 6.30 p.m. with our partners at MOHAI, and you can access that registration um, by our Facebook page or MOHAI registration on their Facebook page or directly to their website, mohai.org. Well, we want to thank the president of the Washington State Black Heritage Society Incorporated, Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, and doing a lot of things, not only with just the Black Heritage Society, but also the partnership with MOHAI. So thank you very much. We'll have somebody on again next week before the event. Yes. So, so okay. I'll let you awesome, select the guest for us. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So thank I'll you very much. Soon. Talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. All power. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Okay, this has been uh, Eddie Ryan Haywood Evans with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. I want to encourage everybody, invest $30 in your civil rights or the civil rights for somebody in your family, your neighbors, by joining the Seattle branch of the NAACP. Or you can call Gail Alexis Ray down in Tacoma, Pierce County, and join there. So we'll talk to you again next Thursday.